stand all over the house this evening. Let's join together in worship, singing this old hymn of the church, I'll Fly Away. Well, so glad for me when this life is over, I'll fly away. standing for prayer at this time. Lord, we love you. We welcome you in this house tonight. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come again to worship you and to be in the midst of your people. Father, I pray every note that is played, song that is sung, message that is given will be for the upbuilding and the advancement of the kingdom of God. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people together said amen. Amen. And then will you take the next few moments tonight and just greet one another in the Lord at this time. God bless you.
stand again all over the house. Let's sing some praise and worship and choruses to the song, to the Lord tonight. We're going to start out tonight singing, Great and Mighty is the Lord our God. Let's worship Him. Well, great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see. 
Let's sing it. So come in right from your rest and be blessed by our praise as we glory in your embrace as your sing that same it sounds so beautiful come and rise so come and rise from your rest and be blessed by our praise as we glory in your embrace Now 
that you would inhabit the praise of your people. Lord, we decree and declare that we are rising from our rest to be blessed by, to you to be blessed by our praise. And so, God, this is our, your house, and we ask, God, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Your glory would manifest itself in this place. God, we know there are so many within our body, God, this church battling sickness and all sorts of ailments. Some are not here tonight, some are here tonight that weren't able to be here this morning. And God, the list is endless. But God, that doesn't change that you've been great, that you've been good. Yes, God, number, God, we pray that you would inhabit these praises and these words of worship that have been offered up. And God, that you would make them a sweet aroma and a pleasing aroma into your sight. And God, that one did the remainder of this service and the remainder of this week. Your presence would go with us and before us. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people together said amen. Amen. While you remain standing, if you'll go to the book of Acts chapter number 2. The book of Acts chapter number 2. We're going to be again reading in verse number 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. will be our focal point of tonight's text. will come from Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, so good to see Brother Jimmy, I know he was not able to be here this morning, so good to see Brother Jimmy back in the house of the Lord. We certainly missed him this morning, and his normal first Sunday is the Sunday he normally leads singing, and we certainly hated he could not do that today, but we're glad he's back in the house of the Lord with us. But we want to continue to pray for our sister Phyllis as well, who's not feeling as well, as well and continue to touch her and her body as well. And there are so many others, if you were here this morning, you know the list, there's just so many that are sick and, um, and suffering and battling. And so we want to make sure we uplift all of those uh, in our thoughts and prayers today. Acts chapter 2, and verse 42. We're just going to read one verse of Scripture. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. It says, and they, it's talking about the early church and, and uh, the disciples. And, and as the church is growing, the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teachings and in fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is, this is talking about church growth, how they started growing the church. But notice some of the key words they were. Continued steadfastly. We talked about a little bit of that this morning and a lot last week in our seals of approval. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teachings. Fellowship. We like that part. I started a message two weeks ago that started entitled Pentecostal Producing Prayers. And I believe. That in the day and hour that we're living in, the Holy Spirit is not given for our enjoyment, but He's given for our employment. Uh, obviously, that is a phrase that was coined by our general overseer a few years ago at our general assembly. The point behind that is, is we are living in a day and hour. We need all of God we possibly can have on our side. We need every bit of God. Well, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I wish that everyone spoke in a heavenly language. I just prayed people were saved that said they were saved. Hello? <laughs> I just wish the people that claim to be Christians acted like Christians. But I want to talk a few more minutes today about the kinds of prayers that will produce the power of God or the Pentecostal power of God. Let's pray. Eternal Father, grace, I thank you for the words of God that has been given to us, pinned down of God's throne. God, I pray today that every note that has been played, sung, but God, as we segue into this time of this dissecting and, Lord, unpacking your word, I pray you and relevant and life-changing in our heart. Take a call from the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay. 
that I may decree and declare not my word. Father, I pray this, that you would not only let us be hearers, but do it there likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, people together said amen. Amen. You may be Pentecostal producing prayers. I started two weeks ago, I read to you out of Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, about the early apostles and their journey, a Sabbath journey, Sabbath day journey, to where they were staying, a Sabbath day was approximately 1,000 to 1,200 yards of a mile. That's what they considered a Sabbath thirds of a mile. You all remember it, the commute was more of on foot than it was in anything else. Yes, occasionally you may have a donkey or some kind of mode of transportation. But overall, it was, your, it was by your feet that you moved from one place to day, a day that was not designed to be supposed to maximally in a maximum of a mile in the course of an entire day. You know the word uh, often used uh, synonymously with with synonymously with churches like ours and other denominations themselves to be charismatic it only is accompanied by or with the idea Holy Rollers, the name, the list goes on and on about, you know, or you hear them say, oh, I go to a Pentecostal church, they all start thinking you're handling snakes, playing with fire and doing all kinds of these, oh, y'all are the people that talks and chants and incantations and rolling in the floor and they have, people have these, and while, unfortunately, our people not only accused of those things, but probably validated such claims that and 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 things like uh, uh, working the crowd that became you know, to a certain degree hyper Pentecostal or hyper spiritual, and probably those those accusations fit the original and the was not for some crazy group of people that lost their mind and Pentecost was originally designed to grow the church it wasn't designed for us to just have some super spiritual extra spiritual high to where we could go around saying well I've got the so and that makes you better than some other denomination or some other person Pentecost was for us to be able to be empowered the Bible talks about being endued from a feeling uh, due to the power from on high, that which the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And then what he say? That you would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. The purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was not to get you to a super spiritual level to brag about. It was for you to go reach other people through the power of God with boldness and bring them back to the fold of Jesus Christ. That was what the purpose of... Over the years, sure, people have complicated, I guess you would say... Like I said, I hate to admit it, but there are some people that give us Pentecostal folks a bad rap. They just do. But there's there's the other side. got people that nowadays that are Pentecostal and have believed in Pentecost for years now are questioning Pentecost. People that are 
pastors and evangelists and, and charismatic leaders that, that for years preached the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of Pentecost and the heavenly language and the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that now question the authenticity and start to believe that it was more of a sensationalist gift, meaning it only ceased in Acts chapter 2, but it, God doesn't still work that way today. The reality of it is, my Bible tells me God's the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And so if I'm, if I'm going to believe God is a God of Abraham and a God of Isaac and a God of Jacob and I'm a pastor that preaches the God of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, I can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. If I preach that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then I still got to preach he's the God of the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, triune being, all three in one. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, I can't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible are for today and which are not. If God was for, if the Holy Spirit was good to grow the church in Acts chapter 2 and add thousands per day because of that, then why isn't the Holy Spirit still good for our churches today to grow people and to compel people and to bring them in? I believe if he was good enough to do it back then, he's still doing it today. He still is the same God today. It's spirit-led, spirit-life. We started, I told you last time we were together, that they had a prayer of unified purpose. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were gathered in one place and in one accord. They came together unified. And I told you, in order for churches again to see the power of God manifested in service, we've got to be in unity. God is not the author of division and confusion. In fact, in God's house, He may have to separate the wheat from the tares. God doesn't, God's not into church splits. That's not God's will. God's not in to mass pandemonium and confusion in church. Now look, I, I've been, I'm Pentecostal through and through, third, fourth, somewhere in that line, generation church of God. I have Pentecostal people lined up in my family all the way down. I, I bleed blue and gold and white and the old, you know, teal colors of the church of God emblem before we got every other color in the, we want to make our emblems now. I get it. I've seen it all, heard it all, been in it all. Been, I was in camp meeting like two and a half weeks old. I mean, I didn't like the preachers at two and a half weeks old. I loved the music. Preachers came on. I cried and screamed and had to be taken out because I didn't want to hear anything those men had to say. Unfortunately, I, some things never change. I love their music. And sometimes when the preacher gets up, I'm like, ooh, what time are we getting out tonight? <laughs> the reality of it is I've been in places. I've been in Pentecost, Pentecostal places. I believe God is, all, is not only the God of spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. I believe God also still operates in the gift of discernment. And everything that talks in a tongue is not from God. The devil can mimic a tongue. He cannot mimic a holy life. And if the life doesn't match the tongue, then it ain't God. The reality of it is the devil can make things sound like it's babbling in another language. But only God lives a holy life. The devil can't live holy. And the reality of it is, I've been in some Pentecostal, quotation mark, services, Brother Mike, where I'm just going to be honest. I'm not sure that was God. I'm, I'm just, I, nobody else may be that. It's just me. When I was, you know, serving on staff at other churches, and I would go to camp meetings as a part of the staff, there were many times at the restaurant, I didn't talk to other people, but I, you know, in the confines of safety, talked to my, my mom or my dad. And I, and, I, and I wasn't meaning it rude. I'd point blank ask, Mom, did, you know, do you, what did you think about that? I'm not trying to gossip. I just, what was your impression? Because I always, and Brandon knows this, I have to do this all the time. I'll get into a service and I'll sit there 
And I'll have to sometimes, in Church of God services, pray, God, if this is you, and I'm missing the moment, please forgive me because you know my heart. Right now, I don't feel this is you, so I need you to make sure I know that this is you. And God, if this is not you, don't let me get confused and think this is you and get close to strange fire because according to your word, strange fire will kill you. Hello? You remember when the, when the priest decided they were going to offer up strange fire in their incense? Remember what happened to him? God killed him. You don't play with God's fire and, and you don't play with that. I've been to everything. In fact, just this past week when I went to prayer conference, there was a service. man of God was preaching. I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't God. But I did not feel the same thing in that room that I've been felt in other rooms before. It was two people. And the reason that Brother Jimmy kind of took me off guard is the person behind me in the middle of the message just started speaking in tongues. That's fine, whatever, you know, that's, I support that. Somebody on the other side of the room interpreted it. That's fine. Pastor went back on, started preaching again. Within like two minutes, maybe three max, the, the person on the other side of the room spoke in tongues this time. But the person that spoke in tongues the first time now is the interpreter. It was like they're ping pong balling this back and forth. The only problem I had was nobody else seemed to be moved by the moment. Now, you can say I'm judgmental. You can say I'm whatever you want. I'm not saying God didn't speak to them. But I think that's why the Apostle Paul says if you speak in tongues three times and ain't nobody else is getting anything out of it, sit down, shut up, and let the preacher keep preaching. I mean, I know he didn't say it like that. That's my version. But that's what he said. Don't be confusing because in that service, if you had not been Pentecostal, you'd have, lost, you'd have been like, what, what's happening? Two people back and forth. One speaks in a language you understand. One interprets it. One speaks in a language. The other one interprets it. And they're back and forth. And nobody else in the room's moving. Now, call me judgmental. But if God walks in the room, I think everybody's going to know when he walks in. I just do. I don't think God's going to walk in the room and let Brianna know it, but the rest of y'all not realize he walked in. I don't believe that. And what I believe is God is also a God of unifying the body of Christ. You know when you really have a spirit-filled church? When brothers and sisters who have ought with one another reconcile. That's when God's in the house. When somebody can't speak to the person on the other side of the aisle, but when a good Holy Ghost service happens, Brother Wayne, what they'll do is tears will start streaming down their face. They'll walk across the aisle and they'll grab Brother Primo by the hand and they say, look, you don't understand this, but you hurt me a couple months ago and this and that happened, but I, I got to make this thing right because God in His presence, He'll put things back together that's in chaos and out of order. That's when you know God's in the room. Unified. They prayed a unified prayer. That was the first prayer that produces Pentecost. The second prayer that produces Pentecost is undiluted doctrine. Re re listen to what I read today. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. A prayer that is biblically based and sound in doctrine will produce the power of Pentecost. But you cannot have Pentecost without the word. You just can't do it. Pentecost is not an emotion. It is based off the word of God. I'll use, an, I'll use a, a, a statement that I heard somebody make not too long ago or a couple months ago or a couple years ago. I think it is the most concise way to describe what I'm about, uh, this message. You cannot be more spiritual than you are scriptural. That's about as easy as you can say it. There's too many people looking for another emotional high, another, woo, make me feel good, or woo, that wasn't that wonderful. But there is no more doctrine in it than there's anything in the shout. And can I tell you that everything shouts is not the Lord. There's a lot of people that can jump, spin, twirl, and shout, and none of God may be in that whatsoever. You cannot be more spiritual than you are based on the scriptures of God's word. 
reality of the fact is that it's an undiluted doctrine. What do you mean, preacher, an undiluted doctrine? God's not word is not up for debate. God didn't, like I said this morning, he didn't call me and ask me what I like. He wrote his word, and I, whether I like it or not, the Bible said his word remains forever. Not one dot, not one tittle will pass away. God wrote his word without my opinion in it. I know that's shocking for the world to hear, and I hate to say it. It's shocking for some church people to hear that God's word is not for my pleasure. It's not for my debate. God didn't write his word to make sure I'm content and happy all the time. I know there's preachers out there, television preachers, televangelists, all these people trying to tell, you know, you know, God wants you to be prosperous and he wants you to live your best life. Now, that may be true. God wants the best for you, but some things God wants you to realize everything's not going to make you happy, but his word still is his word regardless if we like it or not. It's just reality. It's undiluted. You see, what we have in this world today is we have a lot of people Diluting God's word. Diluting simply is this. is When you take something and it's too strong. If you don't want it to be that strong. You add something to it to dilute it. The strength of it. Brianna is a coffee connoisseur. She drinks all kinds of coffee. She drinks you know. you, you had, So yesterday. I decided being the loving husband that I am. Because I'm awesome and I'm a trophy husband. I got up. And she was supposed to go eat breakfast, and we didn't. I mean, she, we overslept, or she overslept, and it was kind of later in the day, and this, that, and the other. And so I found a 4.8 star. You know, they only rank them on five stars, so we're only two-tenths of a star here. Coffee shop that was like 30 minutes away from the house. I was going to spend more in gas than I was going to this coffee shop. But it was 4.8 stars, and I was going to get some points. So we go all the way over there. I'm thinking... No, I've done the whole Dunkin' Donuts, the Starbucks, the we in, in uh, Myrtle Beach. There's a place called High Five, and I've done all. For me, I, I don't drink coffee. I I drink milk with sugar with a little bit of something in it. Like I'm not the coffee guy. Like I'm the latte. I'm the I'm the bougie drinker. I, you know, they're like, you want four shots of espresso? I said, no, I want a gallon of milk, four cups of sugar, and about a teaspoon of coffee. That's all I need. That's great. That's that's all I'm after. Preferably iced. So we go to this coffee shop, right? This wall, I'm talking like wall of coffee beans from ever I mean, South America, Central America, Honduras, and Guatemala. I mean, and I'm thinking, how do I choose? I don't even like coffee in the back without milk. I don't know how to pick just beans on the wall. So, of course, Brandon walks up there and she's like, I will take a blah, 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 and I want it in the vanilla dream. And she's ordering like she's been there before, which I know she hasn't. And... I'm sitting there, and he's like, what about you, sir? And I'm like, what you got with milk? (laughs) You know, know? finally I said, you know what? When I was on a mission trip, I had Guatemalan coffee, and it was amazing. So I tell you what, I see up there on the wall, Brother Jimmy, you guys have Guatemalan roast, and I'm going to get that. I'm going to need some cream and sugar in that, though. Oh, the creamer's over here, blah, blah, blah. Okay. It comes up, my coffee cup's full to the top. I mean, it's dark black. They said it was a light to a medium roast coffee. If it had been any darker and stronger, I would have 14 more fingers right now. Because as soon as I sipped it, because it was up to the top, as soon as I sipped it to try to be able to go put my cream and sugar in there, everything in my body shut down. It went, because it said medium to light, but it was strong. My wife tried it, and she goes, man, this tastes wonderful. I'm like. No, it does not. It does not. So, because it was strong, it was 100% Guatemalan coffee, it was 
too, if you will, powerful or too strong for me. So you know what I did? I went and I got, they had a, glass, they had a water pitcher. And they had cups of water. I'm not ashamed. I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not, I don't feel ashamed of what I'm about to tell you. I did. You can judge, but I, I'm proud of my, my philosophy here. I didn't just go take my coffee cup and get some milk and put it in my coffee cup and stir it. No, I went and took one of those 40-ounce or 30-ounce water cups that they had for complimentary. I filled it up with milk, and I poured a little bit of my coffee in that cup and said, now it's right. That's what I did. I have no shame in that whatsoever. Judge all you want to. Judge not lest you also be judged. It felt great. You know what I did? I diluted the strength of that coffee because it was too strong for me. The problem is there's a lot of churches and pastors that the word of God over the course of time with the rise of cultural relevance and socialism and, and secular humanism and all these, these things that we're about. There's a lot of pastors and preachers, the word of God has gotten a little too strong for them. So they've decided they'd rather dilute it than have to face the full strength of God's word. So it's easier for them, instead of taking the whole Bible, rightly divided as God's word. What they do is they kind of just dance around the issue. They don't really preach on sin. They don't necessarily say they condone it. They just don't preach on it. What you permit, though, you promote. So what they do is they don't tell you that the wages of sin is death. They just want to tell you that God's gift is eternal life. Yeah, but the wages of sin is death. They don't want to preach that you have to live a holy and a righteous life unto God. They want to tell you how you live all warm and fuzzy in a spiritual blanket. What, and I hate to say it, it ain't the world. It's the church that has now diluted God's word and, and broke it down to trying to fit our socialistic viewpoints. Well, did God really, isn't that what the devil did? The devil did not make Adam and Eve sin. The devil didn't hold them at gunpoint and said, bite the apple or you die. That's not what he did. He made them doubt the word of God. That's the first sin of the Bible, questioning God's word. He said, and I quote, did God really say that? Did he really say? A loving God who thinks you're one. He, may, he comes down the cool days. Did God really, you think God's being selfish. He wouldn't let you eat that fruit. Wonder, wonder if the reason he didn't was because he knew if you tried it, you'd be like God. Wow. What? Isn't that kind of selfish that God would hold that back from you if he loves you? You know what he's doing? He is creating a diluted gospel or the delusion of God's word. God said you can have everything except one tree. One. Thousands of trees around you. Just one. Because God was giving them, like him, the freedom of choice, not manipulation. And the devil took God's word and just kind of twisted it around just enough. To, what did God really mean that? And you know what's happened? In the world we live in today... There are preachers and teachers and Bible scholars and churches all around this world that are doing the same thing. Well, you know, that was back for the church at Corinth. You know, they were going through a lot in Corinth. And so what, you know, there's a couple of scriptures in the Bible. The apostle Paul said, well, I, I was in the spirit. I, know, I don't know if I was in the spirit or in the flesh, but I think I was in the spirit. So God, that we can't really prove that's what God said. Hello? Y'all never heard? I mean, come on now. This is what people do nowadays. What they're doing is they're diluting God's word to fit their mode of living. But if you want the power of Pentecost and a prayer that produces the power of the Pentecostal work of the Holy Spirit, you can't dilute God's word. You have to have an undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ. He bears swords. 
You've got to crucify yourself daily. You've got to walk through some difficult times. It's got to be an undiluted doctrine. Doctrine can be another word for beliefs. You've got to do it. In fact, the Apostle Paul told young Timothy about a time when people would run after and crave false teachings and doctrines. He warned Timothy. He said, son, be careful. There'll come a time people will turn aside with itching ears and and hearts, they'll turn aside to fables. They won't heed the sound doctrine. They're going to want to hear all the good stuff, but they don't want to hear God's word anymore. The problem is, I wasn't there when Paul told Timothy, but I do believe I'm living in the day and hour Paul warned Timothy about. Because there's a lot of people in a lot of places right now don't want to hear sound doctrine. They only want to hear what fits their ears and their mentality. You see, the believers... There in that upper room, they begin to pray and ask God. Pentecost does not come because of someone's opinion, nor does it come by someone else's new theology. We live in a day and hour where there's a smorgasbord of doctrine. Well, this one says this, and this one says, we've got universal church, universalist churches, and we've got Scientology churches, and we've got this type of church, and we've got that. We've got all these smorgasbords of religion, and all I'm telling you is God's word is the only one that actually is the truth. It's the only one that has stood the test of time. Our prayers must be based on Scripture, not our opinion, but on Scripture. The other thing that we have to understand, another, another prayer that will produce Pentecost, is you, gotta have, you have to pray prayers of unwavering faith. You've got to pray prayers that when you pray them, you believe them. Not, not I'll pray them and then I go, I don't know. That's, that's a big one. I don't know if God can hear. I don't know. No, no. Unwavering faith means unmovable, steadfast. We talked about that a little bit this morning. Steadfast and unmovable. You've got to, when you pray prayers of faith, you want to have Pentecostal producing prayers in your life. When you pray, you've got to believe God is a hearer and a doer at the same time. He hears me when I pray, and because He hears me, He will answer me when I pray. You have to have unwavering faith in God. And sometimes, I believe God doesn't answer our prayers because He knows we really don't believe the prayer we just prayed. I believe that. I believe there are times in our lives we may miss out on the blessings of God in our lives because we don't even believe what we just prayed. We prayed it, but in the back of our mind we thought, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Faith. What did the, the writer of Hebrews describe faith? He said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, what you, what you were hoping for, but it's evidence of things you cannot see. Faith is seeing the unseeable. Faith is believing the unbelievable. Faith is trusting when there's nothing to seem to be trusted. Faith is that thing that carries you. I have physically in my life never seen the face of God. Ever. I'm not Moses. I never got hid behind a bush. I never got hid behind the cliff of a rock. I never got, had God's glory pass before me and cover my eyes with his hand. And then when he passed by... I, Saw the hind parts of God and glowed with the glory of his anointing and presence. I've never physically seen God in a tangible theophany moment. I'm not Abraham. I didn't see him come by my house, knock on the door, and prophesy, Miranda's having twins. I never seen God do that. It would have to be God for her to believe that too. So it, he better be God if that ever happens. But I've never seen God in a tangible sense. I've never seen clouds of day like the, that led the Israel that told me, hey, follow that cloud over there. That's where I'm at. I never saw a big star in the sky to navigate it to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. I've never seen balls of fire in the sky guiding me on my journeys. I've never seen tangible, if you will, theophanies, face-to-face -face encounters with God. But just because I've never seen God doesn't mean I don't believe God doesn't exist because I've seen 
the effects of God in my life, in the church, in other believers. I've seen miracles that doctors can't explain. I've seen signs and wonders nobody else could do. If there isn't a God, then how did it happen? There has to be a God because nothing else seems to make sense. I am not seeing God. That doesn't mean I don't believe he's out there. Somebody said, before I've heard people say before, well, how do you believe in a God you cannot see? I do see him. I wake up in the morning. I see him. How? Because I woke up in the middle of the night and the next morning I woke up. How do you explain when someone goes to the doctor and the doctor looks at a, a PET scan and says, you see all these lesions right here? There's a cancerous tumors and, and we're going to have to start treatment. But what I want to do is I want you to come back next week and we're going to do another scan just to make sure we know where to hit it. And when we come back the next week, we do that same scan, same machine, same doctor, same, you know, oncologist. When it comes back, there's no lesions. It's crystal clear. I can't explain to you. It wasn't like I drank some elderberry juice and it killed all the cancer cells. Hello, preacher. There are things I can't explain. I may not always see God tangibly, but I've seen enough of him do things that I know there's a God out there that hears me when I pray because he's done things nobody else can explain. And it had to be God. Had to be God. That's unwavering faith. That's believing in what I can't see. I've never seen. You know what? I've never seen streets of gold. I live in Berkeley County. That's hard to fathom. I can't even see streets are paved with asphalt with no holes. Berkeley County. I thought Orangeburg County was bad. I came down here. I've realigned my car four times in four years. The reality of it is, I've never seen streets of gold. That doesn't mean I don't believe they're not real. Because there's people in the Bible that had visions and saw things that were a mortal man like me. And they saw things. They said, that's a real place. That place is real. And history tells us there was a John the Revelator, and there was an apostle that was named John, and, and history tells us that, and the Bible tells us that, so I believe if John said it, and history says he existed, then God showed it to him. I've never seen gates of pearl, but I believe they're real. You see, I, I believe that when we pray, we can't just pray amiss. We have to believe what we're asking God to do. We have to be unwavering in our faith. This is not the time, as I said this morning, this is not the time for us to acquiesce to the cultural demands or political demands of the left and right. This is the time where the church triumphant rises up and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will not bend. We will not bow. We will not acquiesce to the demands of culture or to the demands of government. We will stand true to the things of God and His Word. You want to see Pentecostal producing prayers and you want to see Pentecostal producing power, you've got to pray prayers. That you believe God can answer even if nobody else believes they'll answer. I love people that pray prayers that absolutely make zero sense to anybody else. I call them behaps, big, hairy, audacious prayers. I, I love when people pray things that everybody goes, you are, that is crazy. God ain't going to do that. That's like, come on. Because I love that there are people out there that have faith not the size of just the mustard seed. Now, we know mustard seed faith can move mountains. But I'm glad there are people out there that they don't want to just pray for a little thing. They're, they're willing to pray for the impossible thing. And it always just stirs up my spirit when the impossible things becomes reality because they had big enough faith to pray the, the unseen thing. Reality. You know, I've told this story before and, 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 and you've heard it. I've heard of people praying over their washing machine that broke and they started working again. I've heard people couldn't crank their car, and they take the anointing oil and go out in the car. Listen, I'm not sure how the engine block works. I and my, my brother-in-law's here this morning, and my other two brother-in-laws, they're like walking, you know, mechanics. They know how all this stuff and machinery and mechanisms work. I, the only thing I know about a car, I put a key in, and I'm supposed to flip it, and it don't crank. Something's wrong. Somebody's going to see what's wrong. That's, it should crank. 
I understand that there's starters and there's alternators and the alternator's charging the battery and the battery needs to be, yeah, that's great. You know what, at the end of the day, why is it does it a crank? That's all I want to know. And I don't know about you, but for some reason, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. If my car is not working, I just, for life of me, don't think the best idea is to unscrew a bottle of olive oil and to just dump it on the entire engine block and watch it just drip down in saturation like I'm getting ready to fry an egg on top of my engine block and go, now let's see if it cranks. I'm not sure that's what most mechanics want you to try. But I've heard countless stories of people before when their car wouldn't crank, they go out there and they pour oil, just Pompeii or Bilo or whatever, just generic oil on an engine block as a representation or a symbolic moment and say, okay, God, you know I ain't got the money to fix the car. And they just laid their hands on it, doused it with oil. It's sapping. It's just dripping right off the engine block. They go in, the car fires right up. I'm not saying go to your car tomorrow and just dump a whole bottle of oil on it. All I'm telling you is I, there are things in life that I, I have heard people pray that everybody else would say, that's crazy. But God sometimes hears the crazy prayers and answers the crazy prayers. I've seen God speak to people's hearts and lives that I was praying something or somebody in my family was praying something or somebody I knew was praying something and God was talking to somebody else that was unbe- unrelated or unbeknowing to it and God confirmed that word by that person because they would say something like, you couldn't have heard that. I was in my prayer closet. I was by myself. There's no way you knew that. But God talked to them while I was talking to God. God was talking to them, and, and, and God heard my crazy prayers. I've seen people prophesy, if you will, over people's lives, and it come to pass, and you think, wow, I didn't see that coming. Because there was, was people of unwavering faith. They were, in Acts chapter 3, we find a story, and I'm, for time's sake, I'm not going to read, we find a story in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're headed to the temples of the hour of prayer. They're headed their way to go to pray, and they see a man that's on the side of the road. He's begging for alms. He's basically, he's a professional beggar. He's trying to get by. He's like the guy at Walmart with the sign, you know, the cardboard sign. I always wanting you to give him something at the front of Walmart. That's what this guy was doing. He's begging for alms. You know the story. Peter and John say, you know, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have we give to you. In the name of Christ Jesus, rise up and walk. man picks up his mat, leaps jumps up, goes and praising God in the temple and worship. That's great. Prayer is only mentioned one time in that whole scripture. Peter and John were headed to the temple at the hour of prayer. That in the whole entire story is the only time you hear about prayer. That's the only time it's mentioned. And it's only mentioned to set up, if you will, the established time of when they were going. It was just to kind of give you like a time slot. Ninth hour, you know, the Jewish people had certain segregated times of prayer. The writer is only writing in Acts chapter 2 that they went at the time of prayer to set up, if you will, a timeline so that you could follow along. They were going about this time. It'd be like Brother James and me saying, you know, yesterday at 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning may have no bearing on the story other than to set up the point of what time I was at, whatever. When we make appointments to go with people, we always do it on time. We talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago about time is everything. We, you know, we, we do that. Brother Wayne this week wanted to go to lunch with me, and so we were back and forth, back and forth. And so finally we set up a time. Hey, what about Friday at 11? So we knew at 11 o'clock this is where we should be. It, the point of Brother Wayne and I going to lunch and trying Slim's Chicken and doing all these different things, had 11 o'clock really is no bearing on the story. The only thing that bears the story is I was just saying 11 o'clock because that lets you know what time we were there. It just is a reference. In that whole story of Peter, James, of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray, and to go to worship service, the only time prayer is mentioned is just a reference of the time it was. But the backstory is prayer is absolutely intertwined in the whole story, even though prayer is not mentioned but one time. 
They're headed to church at the time of prayer. I'll let you know what time they're going. But I want you to understand something about unwavering faith. They're not able to make that decree and proclamation, silver and gold have I none except what such as I have I give to you in the name of Christ Jesus. They can't make that kind of statement if they've never been in the presence of the Lord to know they had that power. You can't make those kinds of statements unless you know that you've got enough backing to produce what you just said. I've often said there's the difference, the difference between a prophes- someone prophesying and prophesying is if it comes to pass. Prophesy, it'll happen. Prophesy, you'll keep waiting until you die for it to come to pass. See, you, you can't expect to see things. God do things. You know, they had, they, they, they had enough confidence in their backing that if they say the name of Jesus can heal you, they had enough confidence Brother Mike, they knew that if they said in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, they knew that the, they had spent enough time in prayer. They had spent enough time with God even beforehand. They had been in the Acts 2 mentality. They had been in prayers of Pentecost. They knew if they mentioned the name of Jesus, they had a backing to make this thing happen. Wasn't them. Silver and gold have we none. What we have is Jesus. And we always like to preach that. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. The reality of it is you can't make those kinds of bold statements of faith unless you know behind a shadow of a doubt you've been with God and know he's got your back. Because what if they said that and the man tried to stand up and he failed? What happens then? That testimony is shot. That belief is over. You, you give somebody hope. They say all the time that the last thing before someone dies, basically, that you, 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 that the de- most devastating thing to take away from someone before they're dying is their, the last thing is hope. Even on their deathbed, people still have hope. Do- doctor comes in and says, you've got stage 4 cancer, it's metastasized, you're not going to make it. You know what they still do? Have people pray. You know what they're praying for? Hope. They're holding on with a little hope. Lord, if you just give me three more months, I'll see my grandbaby graduate high school. Then, you know what, but they're holding on for hope. That's what people, when they lose hope, they lose the will to live. They do. When hope is gone, the will to live is gone. If they'd have said to that man, get up, I know you've been lame, but Jesus said, get up and walk in the church, God's with you. And he tried to stand up and he couldn't stand up and he failed. You know what he just lost? Hope. My last effort, I have been begging for alms, I've been begging for everything. You told me Jesus could do this and you now have proven Jesus too fail me. Now I'm a firm believer Jesus never fails so let me preface that when I say that. But there's a lot of people that give false hope to people because they don't have the backing of Jesus. It's not that Jesus fails but it ain't Jesus name they're prophesying in. They say it. The seven sons of Sceva and others they prophesied. They, they went in casting out demons trying to be like Jesus. And you know what the devil told them? Paul I know. Peter I know. Jesus I know. But I don't know who you are. And the Bible said the demon that was in that guy jumped on them, whipped the snot out of them boys, and beat the living daylights out of them and sent them home scared and naked back to their family because they said, we don't know you. We know Jesus. We know Paul. We, know, but we don't know you. The reality of it is there's a lot of people walking around saying, in the name of Jesus, God said. But God doesn't always say it, and so they're giving a false hope for Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't fail. But there's a lot of people in this world that feel like Jesus let them down. When it wasn't Jesus that let them down, it was False hope, false prophets that let them down. Look, I, I wish I could tell you that every man, woman, boy, or girl that self-proclaimed apostle, preacher, teacher, prophet, prophetess, whatever you want to call them, title you give them, 
is all under the anointing of God. I would love to tell you that nobody that professes to be that is a hireling or whatever. I'm going to tell you right now, there are people that don the cloth, wear the tie, have the 14 different names, apostle, preacher, teacher, elder, prophetess, prophet, whatever you want to call them. I'll be honest with you, not all of them have the backing of Jesus in them. They say a lot of stuff, but they ain't got a lot of backing. You see, they brought him to this gate called Beautiful. After this miracle, 5,000 more souls were brought to the kingdom. Why? Because of faith. Peter and John said, look, we believe God can do it. We believe, we believe it. And it happened, unwavering faith. You know what else they had? They had what we would call unmatched boldness. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, the Bible said the apostles got together, and they were in a room praying again. Novelty. All these are prayers. They're in a room praying together, and the Bible says, these words it says, and when they gathered together to pray, to pray together, the place where they gathered began to shake. The foundations of the home began to literally rock on the premise. I mean, the foundations of the house, I'll read exactly how it's written. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The foundations of the house rocked. Man, you know how cool it would be if you went to a church on one Sunday? And, and it was like an earthquake in here because the presence of God was so strong, the actual foundations of the church were moving because he was in the building. That's, that's a powerful Sunday. That's a good Sunday. But notice when they were filled, they weren't filled to enjoy it and sit back and go, oh, we got him, the Holy Ghost. It said they were given an unmatched boldness. They were given the boldness to do what? What Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You go be my witness. You go tell people. Prayers that produce Pentecost, one of those will be boldness. Prayers of boldness. You see, you have to have the attitude, I can't live with or without it. You've got to, you got, to, you got to get to a point, look, I can't live without the Lord. I can't live in sin, and I can't live without the Lord. I've, I've, got, I've got to have the Lord on my side. You see, there's a lot of times in our lives, and I've seen this, people will have, they'll be a little shy, bashful, whatever word you want to use. They'll be a little, you know, whatever. But I've seen people's entire physical personality change once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm talking about their whole persona changed. I'm not talking about just the way they walk and live. That, that happened at salvation. You get saved, you should already start the process of walking right, living right, and doing right. I'm talking about their personality changed. I've seen people that were bashful, shy, meek, humble, humble, whatever word you want to call it, very quiet, quiet as a church mouse, very you know, sweet as can be, but a little old sweet person. But when they got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, they were bold. They were loud. They would tell everybody that came their way. The, the shy, meek, bashful person now is the greatest ambassador for Jesus Christ. They're bold. They're passionate. I mean, let's be real. Isn't that what happened to Peter? Peter ends up, Jesus getting taken to the cross. Peter's ashamed of him. He denies him three times, uses an explanative word, curses the day that basically he knew Jesus, and runs off into the darkness and cries and weeps, weeps bitter, and the Bible says wept bitterly. Weeps under uncontrollably. Jesus finds him on the beach and says, Peter, do you love me? And tries to restore him. But up to this point, Peter still hasn't had to face the same people he lied to about that he didn't know Jesus. At this point, he hadn't seen him yet. You got to remember, he lied to the chief priests, the elders, and the servant girls in the courtyard. 
He's back out on the water hiding out on Bono Beach by Miss Brenda's dock so that the cops can't find him. He's out there in the water. Jesus finds Peter and he restores him with the Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter still ain't went back to church with the chief priests and elders yet to say, I knew the man. Even in his reconciliation to God, it was in secret. It wasn't in front of the church people. It was still in a private moment, an intimate moment with Christ. Jesus ascends. The apostles, and they go to the upper room. But they kind of are still hiding. They go to the upper room, and they shut themselves in the door. It doesn't say they walk around the streets and start telling everybody what's going on. They lock themselves. They barricade themselves indoors. They begin to pray. There's that 10-day window for the Spirit of God to fall. When the Spirit of God fell on that Acts 2 morning, and the cloven tongues of fire appeared, everybody walking the streets heard a commotion upstairs in the upper room, and they were intrigued outside as to what was happening inside the building. It would be a great day when the people out there are intrigued about what's going on in here. That's when you know the Holy Ghost is moving, when the people out there have to stop what they're doing to come here because they're trying to figure out what's happening in here is more important than what's happening out there, so they come in here to figure out what's going on. The Bible says a throng of people come together. They're, 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 they're interested in this. Remember the last thing I told you. Peter's cursed him. He's denounced him. Even his reconciliation has been in silent and secrecy. When Peter knows there's a crowd outside, he doesn't tell John, you, you need to go out there and address them and tell them what's going on. I know you were there at the cross and you're taking care of Jesus' mama. And Jesus left you in charge of his mama and all his stuff. Your mama, his mama was in the upper room with him. So you studied out and, Peter didn't say to John, hey, John, look, you know, we ran to the tomb together. We saw it. We know, but, you know, Jesus kind of left you in charge, buddy. I mean, he, he told you you were going to take care of his mom. Go, go tell him, John. Peter didn't push John out the door. The Bible said Peter flung the shutters open on the balcony of the, of the, of the porch. And he did this time didn't say, now, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, at this time, I'd like to introduce you our pastor, Pastor John. He's going to come right now and give you a word from the Lord. He didn't do that. The Bible said the same people heard Peter, the chief priests, everybody. Peter's denouncing. This time, though, after receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter was a totally different man. This time, he stands over and he goes, what you see here today is not what you think. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We are not a bunch of loonies. We're not a bunch of crazy snake handlers. We're not a bunch of scorpion slingers. What you see, these men are not drunk like you think with wine. But they have been endued with power from a higher source. This is what we have talked to you about, this same Jesus, which you crucified and you buried. He is risen. He has went back to the Father. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel in Joel 2. 28 that we read in our Bible, we said this is what was prophesied by the prophets. In the last days, the Lord will pour out His Spirit. This is that, the Holy Ghost, that Jesus brought. This time, Peter didn't care if the chief priest heard it. He didn't care if the high priest heard it. This time, Peter, with unequivocal boldness, stood up and said, I'm a believer. I serve Jesus. I love the Lord. He didn't care who knew about it. This time, he said, I'm with Him. I'm with Him. I'm one of His. Bible said because of that, souls started coming to the church. Wouldn't it be something that people out there knew that there was something going on in here? 
and they watched your life, and they started realizing, man, I don't know what it is about Dennis Clark, but I'm going to tell you what, after he came off of that divine encounter 24, I'm going to tell you what, I mean, Dennis was always a nice guy. He was a cool guy. I loved hanging out with him. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't know, somewhere between January and February in that two-month window, man, Dennis changed to a whole different person. I'm going to say, I don't know what his. Dennis, tell me about your church. Where are you going to church? Oh, I go to Santee Circle Church of God. Well, you know, have you have you have you lost any weight? No, I'm. I'm uh, how's your sugar doing? It's doing about the same as always done. You still take insulin? Yeah, I do. In fact, I ate twelve dozen. I ate twelve count dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts and took insulin the same day. I mean, I'm still doing good. I'm doing great. Whatever. And no, that ain't it. Either. Wouldn't it be something that they start seeing something different in our lives and they started questioning what is it about these people? What is about them? And what's happening out there started to filter in here. We've got to go to that house. We've got to see the foundation shaking. We've got to get to that upper room. We've got to get to twelve eleven Highway fifty. We got to figure it out because whatever's happening out there in there is much different than what's out there and they wanted to find out what was going on in this place Miss Carol as you come when you pray these prayers of unified purpose undiluted doctrines unwavering faith unmatched boldness can I tell you you will see unending products of Pentecost can I tell you I don't believe Pentecost ended at Acts 2 it still is real today in the church. Pentecost is more than just tongue talking. Listen. Pentecost will produce power. It will produce purity. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. And Peter told them, why would you lie to God? And, he, and the Lord took them out right there. It will purge sin from the church. Pentecost, we always use the idea of the cloven tongues of fire. Fire is an agent of purification. It purifies things. It melts away things that shouldn't be, causes impurities to rise up at the top so it can be skimmed. Fire helps purify things. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He'll create a, an element of purity within His church. He, God is looking for a bride without spot and blemish. And so what the Holy Spirit through Pentecost does is it eradicates impurity in the body. It will burn off the chaff. It will cause when, when you got people in the church that's trying to contaminate it and the enemy trying to contaminate it, the Holy Ghost will eradicate it. The enemy contaminates it. God eradicates it with the Holy Ghost. Burns it off. It's purity. The Holy Spirit of Pentecost, another product of Pentecost, is it will bring about a praise. They continued in one accord, breaking bread from house to house, eating food, and with gladness and simplicity of heart, they praised God, having favor with all people, and the Lord kept adding daily to the church. Every day he kept adding somebody. It'll produce power, purity, praise, worship. What are you telling me, preacher? I'm telling you that I still do believe in the full scope of Pentecost, but I still believe in the baptism of a heavenly language. But I'm telling you that in these last days, more churches need to be Pentecostal. What are you saying, preacher? you saying everybody needs to run around and have some prayer language? No, 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 no. I'm not asking for people to mimic tongues if they're not real. What I'm saying is true Pentecostal fire will do this. It'll create a church that's pure. It'll create a church that's powerful. It'll create a church that is a church of praise and worship. The reality of it is, in the world we live in today, we need all of God we can get. We certainly don't need less of Him, Brother James. We need more of Him. The less we keep taking Him out, the more this world's getting worse. We probably should put more of Him in it and less of this world and see if we can split the narrative here. 
You see, I am a firm believer in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And while it's great for people to be spirit-filled with the initial evidence, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of a heavenly language, I don't need people to speak in tongues who I talked about this morning can't love people. I don't need people that can talk in a tongue, but they can't live right. Or they can't love people. Or they can't walk across an aisle with someone they've got an issue with and grab them by the hand and say, I want to make restitution and resolution. I want to create a, a, a moment where we're not at odds anymore. I want to put the water under the bridge. I want to, I want to bridge the gap. Holy Spirit's no good if you can talk in tongues, but you despise the person beside you across the aisle. It's no good to have the Holy Spirit then. You got to bury the hatchets. You got to love the neighbor. You got to pray for those that despitefully use you. You got to hug the person that stresses you out. Even if they are your spouse, you got to do it. It's just, just a prerequisite. You got you to gotta learn to, the tongue is not everything if I can't live the right way before it. Now, while I'm like the Apostle Paul, sure, I wish everybody had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in a heavenly language. More than that, I just wish people were Christian. <laughs> they love God in the right way. I believe that God in these last days is calling His church. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about an umbrella church. To be people of prayer, of power, a church triumphant. I don't think God wants His church to be a weak need and a, and a, limp, a, 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 a limp church and a listless church. I think He wants His church to be triumphant. Powerful. That doesn't mean we're not going to have bad days. What it means is we've got the backing on our side. We can say like Peter and John, silver and gold have we none but such as we have in the name of Jesus. And that carries weight when we say such as we have is Jesus. Not just we say the words, but we got the backing of those words. Friends of God of producing prayers are, are of scriptural relevance and, and biblical backing. If we ever, the old song says this, and then we're going to pray. It was, a, it was a catchy song, and uh, it's kind of once it gets stuck in your head, it's kind of like never goes out of your head, and it takes a while for another song to take its spot. But there was an old song that literally, it was very simple. It just said, if we've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need Him now. And it kind of gets stuck. We need Him every day and every hour. And it just kind of had that same little catchy phrase, if you've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need Him now, sure do need Him now. If we ever need a Lord for we sure do need Him every day, every hour. The reality of it is, while it's a catchy little tune to get stuck in your head, that's really the truth, though. If we've really ever needed the Lord before, we could use Him today. We could use Him in our country. We could use Him in our churches. We could use Him every day and every hour. Because we need Him. Eternal Father, I have done my best today preach the word of God to the people of God. God, I know that Sunday night, more often than not, is a quote, cream of the crop, the saved, the church people that are coming because they want to be in your house. God, I also am not naive, have the naivety to feel like, or realize that there aren't people that come to church that are hurting, that are broken, the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Sickness prevails in their bodies. Stress prevails in their bodies. There's things that are bothering their heart. But God, I'm in this place today to remind us, pastor included, if we've ever needed the Lord before, we need Him now. So God, that's what we're asking you to do. Lord, we, we have unfurled your word over the last couple of weeks about Pentecostal producing prayers. But God, help us to be people that pray your word. Unified in purpose. 
Lord, we are strong in our unmatched boldness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We undilute the doctrine and gospel teachings of your word so that we can see the unending products of Pentecost. Father, I'm asking today that when we leave this place, we truly can be like the writers of old. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. Let us not feel like that today was just a spiritual check mark and a trying to get through the day to waste it was a waste of day just trying to get that spiritual credit God let us realize that days like today are what set us up for the week ahead to sustain us to keep us to hold us in the palm of his hand Father I pray when we leave this place today you will be with every person represented in house online you would let them feel Jesus throughout the course of their week May you bless us and keep us. May you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts until you come again. And forever let the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. In the name of the Father and Son and Spirit we pray. Everybody together said amen. And if you'll stand all over the house for our benedictory prayer. Immediately following this prayer, don't forget to, uh, Wednesday night, Bible study, 7 p.m. Don't forget M3, Men Mentoring Men, breakfast at Little Pappy's on Saturday at 8.30. Uh, coffee will be provided for a small surcharge of whatever they charge you at Little Pappy's. But there is coffee, so uh, there, there'll be coffee there. Um, don't judge me, I will have creamer and sugar in it. It will not be black, it will have creamer and sugar, so, you know, just, I'm making a latte. But I will drink coffee with you. Uh, but uh, please join us uh, if you're a man. Doesn't matter age. You can be from a tot to just a big tot, and uh, you can you can come and be a part of that with us. Um, I'm already telling you that unless the Lord changes my mind, I'm having French toast and bacon because I haven't got to have that since the fast, and I've been craving French toast like crazy. So if I don't get it before Saturday, I'm having powdered sugar and cinnamon French toast with bacon. Uh, so I'm ready. So we, we hope to see everybody Saturday, men. Uh, and boys, we hope to see you Saturday at 8.30. And then Sunday's regular schedule, a.m., p.m., like always. I'm going to ask you to bow for prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Brother, I'm actually going to ask my mom. She's back there. I'm going to ask her to pray the benedictory prayer tonight. Um, let Brother Randy save his voice. I normally pray for him, have him pray, or Brother Mike. But Brother Randy's been battling sickness, too. Uh, he's been battling so much, he had to get him a Wendy's Frosty just to get through the night. And so you never have to have an excuse for a Frosty, but I guess tonight was the best time. But... Uh, so we want to continue to pray for all our sick folks as well. But after this prayer, we uh, will be dismissed, and we hope to see you this week. God bless.